Are you ready for an open discussion with the best of the best and the best of what's next? Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show with Tony D'Urso. Tony will have a conversation today with one of the world's great influencers as they showcase the newest, hottest, and best trends from all walks of life. Now, here's Tony D'Urso. Welcome. Thanks for joining in with us. Now, what do you think you need or that you must have in place in order to be successful at all? Really, I want you to have a think about that. You know, I once helped raise funds from friends and family, and this is when the internet was an embryo, meaning I didn't use it. All I had was a spreadsheet. That's it. And I didn't know anyone with money, and I definitely didn't know any millionaires. So what do you think I did? Well, I raised $3 million in six months. I simply didn't think I needed anything else to do the job. I can talk, and that was it. So I'll ask you again, what do you think that you need in order to be successful? Well, we're going to take some things apart in today's interview with the unconventional entrepreneur, Alexandra Nolan. And later on in this episode, we have an insider's brief about leveraging technology to help kids learn. They are our future entrepreneurs and business people, and we can play a vital role in their learning. Stay tuned for that. And please listen for news from our sponsor, Indeed, with a special offer for you. If you need to hire, then you need Indeed. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And this show is available because of them. So please take note and hear what they have to say. That's Indeed with a special offer just for you later on in this episode. And while we're at it, this is all about helping you and your friends turn your vision into reality. We want to help you get very successful at growing your business to a high sustainable level. In fact, we're going to help turn you into an elite entrepreneur. Meet Alexandra Nolan. In her 20s, she was jet-setting around the country, making an insane amount of money, and you would consider that she really had made it. All her friends and family did, but she wanted to be an entrepreneur and work on what she really wanted to get out of life and not just make money for the sake of making money. She was aware of her potential and knew she needed to take the next step on her journey and quit that job. Unbelievable so far, isn't it? Let's get into it. She's going to tell us the rest. Hi, Alexandra. Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Hi, Tony. Thank you for having me. The honor is mine. You know, we're all looking forward to understanding the mindset of the unconventional entrepreneur. And it's a very kind of almost a static title, but there's so much more into it. Usually we talk about, you know, making life hacks and doing this and doing that, but this is very unique. And I want to really get into this mindset because it's so different and you've created such a great success that this little title just doesn't seem to do it. So let's try this, Alexandra. Let's take it from the top. How did it all start for you? What's your backstory? Oh, it's, it's a crazy backstory. So buckle up. (laughs) Um, I started in corporate America. I had, I got my undergrad degree in 2008. So it was when, um, you know, that was a hard time for college graduates to get a job. The market was crashing. Um, So I was working at Macy's uh, at the Dior makeup counter doing makeup. And, um, and I loved it, but I also was, you know, really wanting that corporate job. That was my first dream of getting my degree is to get a corporate job. And one of my clients happened to work for a major paper company. 
um, here in the United States. And she came in a few times. And finally, one day she said, you know, you talk about wanting to work for corporate. Um, I work for, you know, this major paper company and they have an internship. You should apply. I can, I know the person that's uh, looking for interns and I can help you out. And I said, great. Okay, I'll, I'll do that. And I applied and I started my career in market in the market research department at this paper company. And Climbed my way up. I was there six years, uh, ended up doing internal customer service sales, then external sales. Um, that was great. I was uh, 25 when I got that job. And just to give you an idea, I had, if you can think of California and then, this, and then the city of Baltimore and draw a line just from the state of California all the way to the city of Baltimore, all of the states below that, that was my territory. So I was traveling at that age by myself, jet setting around. I think the first year I did 280 flights. It was a it was a um, a Monday, well, really a Sunday through Friday type of job. I was home two days a week if I was lucky, and it was great. But I had this internal pool always, really start my own thing and, and become an entrepreneur. And so I decided while I worked there, I would start a cosmetic line, and that's what I did. I started a cosmetic line. That led into, uh, it started to grow. I had to make that decision that most entrepreneurs have to make where you have a full-time job, but you have a company that has reached its max potential because of time constraints. And I had to make the decision, am I going to you know, jump off the cliff, take the risk and, and put all of my eggs in my own basket? Or am I going to choose safety and the safe route? And ultimately, I decided to um, choose me <laughs> and I took my cosmetic line um, to the full extent, got a brick and mortar store and opened up a, a boutique slash uh, cosmetic studio. And that's where it all started. I uh, snowballed into several different businesses from that point. I've sold the boutique and I'm doing so many other things as of now. <laughs> what an interesting story. Now, you help entrepreneurs create successful businesses in like six weeks. Where did the vision come for you to do that as a business? Well, so really, um, you know, when I started my own business, I didn't do a lot of research. I didn't take the steps. You know, they teach you the business plan steps and business school and all of that. And I kind of just bypassed all of that because if you're an entrepreneur, you can probably relate to the uh, instant gratification. Like I had this idea. I wanted to do it now instantly. I didn't want to plan. Um, and that is one of the main reasons why I created a plan for people like me. Um, I just went headfirst into this business. I was lucky that it, that it succeeded, but there were many times where I, um, you know, worried, like I know what chapter 13 bankruptcy means because I had to look at it because so many times I would start, uh, have an idea and jump headfirst without a plan. Um, ultimately, like I said, the boutique thrived, survived. I've sold it. Um, I ended up starting a, um, when I had the boutique for mar marketing purposes, I started a blog to try to sell my clothes. And, um, and that turned into a full-time secondary business. So when I sold the boutique, I jumped over into doing um, the influencer thing on Instagram. I still do that work with large national brands at this point. But the whole time, as I'm making these steps into other businesses, I was, I'm creating these little plans and I didn't realize that it's just, I learned from scraping my knee and having to get back up. And so as I started doing all these, you know, new businesses growing and evolving, I started writing down these different types of things. Like, remember last time when you did this and you didn't do this, what happened this time you need to do this. And so I have, at this point, I had 
10 years, over 10 years of experience. And I've got notebooks and notebooks of, you know, social media plans, omni-channel plans, um, you know, pricing for, for profit, all of these things. And I thought, you know, I can put all of this into a book. It's already in all my notebooks and all my journals. Um, I can put all of this into a book so that other people can do this successfully and not have to learn by, you're going to learn by trial and error, but not have to learn like I did, which is throw noodles at the wall and see what sticks. And the and the ones that stick just go that way. Like I wanted to create something that was a little bit more um, foolproof, uh, if you will, on the strategy. That makes perfect sense. And that makes me beg the question, why? Why bother? Why do this? What was the purpose behind doing all this? Well, you know, I've learned, see, I thought my passion and, and I, and not, don't get me wrong. I, I loved owning retail stores. I love branding. Um, I love uh, launching new business. I find the most exciting time is the first six months. I like to call it the honeymoon phase of launching a business. All of these things I get, it's like, it's like having a high school relationship and you get super giddy and excited about it. And then like when that wears off, you want to do the next thing, right? I mean, I don't know if that's a good analogy, but you know what I mean? <laughs> when that wears off, it's just like, oh, what's, what's going to get me more excited? And that's how why I would start another business and another brand. But through it all, what I learned that was consistent, that I didn't need that next entrepreneurial high, if you will, was that people would come to me, they would see, I post, like I said, on my Instagram, I would, I'm posting behind the scenes, I'm posting uh, different brands I work with, and also business tips and tricks and lifestyle hacks and all of these things. People would reach out and they would say, hey, they would, they would send me a message and they would say, you know, I'm thinking about starting this business. What do you think about this? Or, or what's one tip? And then it would turn into this long month-long conversation back and forth. And before I knew it, I had, you know, 15 to 20 people that I'm talking to at any given time. And I thought, you know, this is, I, this is my passion. My passion isn't just is starting and launching my own brands. It's actually starting and launching and helping just the, the whole idea of brands in general and helping other people with these crazy, unique, unconventional strategies. So that really is the why behind how I've transitioned. I'm still doing some of my other businesses, but I've, I've car carved out a big part of my time in business to help other people do the same. We're speaking with the unconventional entrepreneur, Alexandra Nolan, and you can find her at citychicliving.com. Chic, that's C-H-I-C, citychicliving.com. Alexandra. We're entrepreneurs, we're business owners, so I would love for you to help us learn. You've got so much that you can share. And one of the first things that caught my eye is that you teach tools on how to discover our entrepreneurial skill set. Can you tell us about that? Yes. So like I said, just through the, you know, I'm not a psychologist and I don't, I don't claim to to be or have all of the right answers. But through the years of doing this, I've learned and helping other people launch their business. I've learned there are eight key elements, which I talk about in the book. So if you get the book, you can learn all about it. Uh, but there are eight key elements. I call them elements, skill sets, personality. I forget other people don't know what elements are. I explain all of that in the book, but that an entrepreneur must have or master. So we're all born with these um, personality traits. We can, we, we all have them, but our level of mastery may be lower or higher compared to others. This is the Tony Tierso show where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues the unconventional entrepreneur with Alexandra Nolan. But first it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. 
Hey, what's a game where no one wins? It's the waiting game. And when it comes to hiring, don't wait for the great talent to find you. Find them first with Indeed. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. And that's because they're the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites, searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. We streamlined the hiring with powerful tools that find you matched candidates. And with Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed Data US. And you know, one of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. You got to try it and let me know because I know you're going to agree how easy it is to find the quality candidate that you need for the job that you want to fill right away. And even better, Indeed's the only job site where you pay only for applications that meet your must-have requirements. It's an unbelievably powerful hiring platform. It delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest 2019. So let's do this. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash D-U-R-S-O. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash D-U-R-S-O. Just go to Indeed.com slash D-U-R-S-O and support the show by saying you heard about it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash D-U-R-S-O. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. That's I-N-D-E-E-D dot com slash D-U-R-S-O. You're listening to the Tony D'Urso Show with Tony D'Urso. We'd love to hear from you via email. Be sure to send questions and comments to Tony at TonyD'Urso.com. Now, back to the Tony D'Urso Show. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is The Unconventional Entrepreneur with Alexandra Nolan. And just a quick thank you that I sincerely appreciate you listening to my weekly shows with today's lead entrepreneurs. And if you like this show, please go to Apple Podcasts, hit that follow button, and drop a cool review. Look up The Tony D'Urso Show and give a kind one. Thanks so much for listening. And now back to the chat with Alexandra. And so in the book, I teach people uh, what these, these skill sets or traits are. And then there is a, there's other QR codes in the book. You can scan a QR code and take the quiz and see where your level of mastery is on each one. And then I give activities, different activities that you can do to improve upon those things. Some of the activities like communication is a huge one. Um, you know, some of the, uh, all the activities under communication really don't have anything to do with business. It has to do with getting out of your element. And, and you know, if you're registering low in the communication trait, um, different activities to get out there and put yourself out there and communicate in ways that you wouldn't otherwise communicate or, or put yourself out there um, in those instances before to build that confidence and then your communication skill level. So that's just 
one of the eight elements, but I, I like to teach people how to master these because once you do, you can build the confidence and determination that you need to really succeed in your business journey. In scanning through some of your material here, you talk about determination pointers for breaking free from the fear of failure. Yes. We all have a lot of that. I don't think I know anybody who has not failed at least one time. And there's so much that we've learned from it. And I'd like to know about your determination pointers. Yeah, so it's funny, the determination pointer, um, it's really simple, but it's also kind of a roundabout way of thinking about it. Um, obviously, knowing that failure is you wouldn't be afraid of it if it isn't something that can, you know, happen all the time, right? So the the determinant, like the the pointer there is to be just be okay with it. To I will say most people, one of you're either a fight or flight kind of person, right? So if you, if it's if you're fear, if you're afraid of something, you're going to run from it. Um, but the best way, or you can fight it. But to me, and I t- I try to tell people all the time, the best thing is when you feel that fear to sit with it and explore it, explore the feelings inside and and don't let it turn you away from your dream. Um, because the key is, and you've got to, you've got to know this is that if you are feeling fear of failure because of a, an, of a business journey or an entrepreneurial idea, you are, you are officially experiencing what every single entrepreneur on this planet, whether they want to admit it or not, experiences. So you have officially gone to step one of becoming a real entrepreneur. So really, it's not like, oh, I'm scared. I need to run. I can't do this. You need to think in your head, okay, this is scary, but every single body, every everyone else has felt it too. So I must, I'm, I've put my first entrepreneur hat on. I'm feeling the fear. But that's what should push you and drive you to be successful and climb out of that. You fight it, you know, like sit in it and then climb on out and fight it and just go on to the next thing. I always like to say, I like to remove failure from my vocabulary. So I'll sit in it. I'll be scared. And as soon as that feeling of failure gets in my head, I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to acknowledge it. And then I'm going to remove it out of my head. No more thought of failure. Now press forward. I like that. The feel the fear, it kind of gives you an adrenaline rush. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and sort of maybe on the flip side a little bit of feeling the fear and dealing with fear is you talk about overcoming opposition with confidence. That's a new one. I haven't heard it said that way before. Tell us more about that. Okay, so that's almost the next step. Once you get out of the fear of failure and you start to... Uh, I like to call it, and I talk about this in the book a lot, the confidence loop. So you get through the feeling of fear, you pursue the dream, you find a way to master it, and then you, you st- you're you like, oh, okay, I did that. And so you start to feel a little bit more confident, and then it circles right back around. You, you take the next level obstacle, you start becoming fearful of that obstacle, and then, you know you accomplish that and you're like, oh, okay, the confidence grows more and more. So as you hit these obstacles, you're building your confidence up to the point that the risk factor and the feeling of fear is is so, so small by the time, you know, you've done this four or five years. So you're overcoming with these obstacles and you're, you're building confidence with the obstacles. So I feel like going through the hardships, um, staying determined. These are actually good, good things to build your unconventional mindset as an entrepreneur. You know, I kind of think 
as a concept here, like a tree or a bush that's just trying to thrive and needs the water and it's forcing itself to grow. And I kind of have that sort of mindset here. It just kind of makes you push out. And if you have that confidence, that really helps a lot in overcoming that opposition. It's a very interesting point here. Lots more to it. And I have some other things I want to go into, but before I do, you've got some really good tips on getting things done, getting the job done, just doing business. I love to talk about some of those tips. Well, okay. So these are, there's nothing super fancy to this, but I, I, even though, and it's funny as an, as a, an influencer, you know, people would think I'm completely technologically savvy. I am to a certain level, but I also have a physical pen and paper journal that I use planner. And I suggest everyone, that's one of my biggest things when people are like, how do you, how do you organize yourself to get the job done? What's the first step? Invest in a planner, not just not just one you you see at Walgreens and just pick up and run with. Research, research your planners. Um, I like I always I know now by the the way I work, I need a planner that's by the hour, so six a.m. all the way to like nine p.m. I write in every day, the day before I plan my day by the hour. It helps me to, and it seems like it's a little overkill, but it's not because as an entrepreneur, your brain, I like to say I'm not very grounded. My feet are, I'm always kind of floating a little bit above the ground. So to have that structure there, it helps me stay on task. And I've been doing that now for 12 years. So that's tip number one for getting the job done. And number two, um, the two biggest ones, there's a lot more in the book, but another one that I missed the mark on for the first probably two years of being in business is to network. I mean, lean on other people, you know? Um, and I, and I say that goes both ways. Don't, don't ride on coattails, but lean on someone else and let them lean on you and share ideas back and forth because you get so much more done in a year when there's more than one brain working at a project uh, than you do with, you know, five. So, you know, networking is huge to get the job done. It helps you get through your tasks a lot quicker. And it's not to say that you need to pull other people away from their businesses, but get get five guys or gals that are like-minded with that are non-competing businesses in your local community, meet up once a month and just, hey, you know, what are you doing that works? Okay, cool. This works for me. And then, you know, you can even do events together to get your customer bases together and, and kind of like exchange, I say exchange, kind of share customer bases and all of that. You get so much more done when whenever you you build a family in, in your, you know, business. I don't think anybody can get anything done all by themselves. It just you need somebody somewhere, you need support, you need people to help do anything. It's just, you need that. So yes, networking is so critical. Totally, totally agree. Helps us all grow. Absolutely. And then going through your book here, you've got the four senses strategy. Can you talk about that and tell us? Okay. So your, your show is actually the first show that I'm going to announce this on uh, since you asked about the four senses strategy. First of all, I have started my official, uh, another new business this year that has everything to do with the four senses strategy called the Aroma House. It's spelled H-A-U-S instead of H-O-U-S-E, um, but the Aroma House. And it's because I believe so much in this four senses strategy um, that that I had to launch a business. I started studying sensory marketing in my PhD program. And I, I was like, oh my gosh, there's something here. I need to launch a business and jump on it. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others 
to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues. The Unconventional Entrepreneur with Alexandra Nolan. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. You're listening to The Tony D'Urso Show with Tony D'Urso. We'd love to hear from you via email. Be sure to send questions and comments to Tony at TonyD'Urso.com. Now, back to The Tony D'Urso Show. All right, we're back on The Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is The Unconventional Entrepreneur with Alexandra Nolan. And you can check out my Elite Entrepreneur interviews on Apple Podcasts, or you can find and listen to just about every interview I ever recorded at TonyDURSO.com slash podcast. And I mean all seven years of interviews are found on the Master Archives at TonyDURSO.com slash podcast. And now, back to the chat with Alexandra. So... Let me tell you a little bit about the background as to how I got into this strategy. So when I had my clothing store, I had a friend who came into the store and she's like, you know, I've got this business and um, and that I'm, you know, she's selling for this company and we're going to scent your store. You're going to have your own signature scent in the store. So it's going to smell beautiful and, you know, it's going to be just this big, amazing thing. And I'm going to tell you as an, as an, my, my, all my degrees have been in marketing. And when she told me this, I was like, okay, um, like I, I totally missed the mark because I was like, this is probably not going to work. But because she was my friend, she doesn't know how life changing she that that meeting was. Because she was my friend, I said, okay, I'll try it. And I'm thinking in my head, I'll do it for a few months just to you know throw her bone and and you know get her some sales, but it's not going to stick. It was the biggest marketing strategy I have ever implemented. It was crazy. People were coming in off the street, first of all, because they were like, I could smell it when I, after I left dinner, I was in like a square with a bunch of other businesses. I could smell this beautiful smell and, and I was drawn to it. And then like, they were like, I'd open the door and I'm like, oh my gosh, here's where the smell is. And they said that they just wanted to linger in it. And they wanted, they wanted to walk around and look and just be in the smell. And then customers would come back and they would say, you know, like I would open my closet the next day after buying your clothes. And this, I felt like I stepped back into your store. I could just close my eyes and the smell hit me in the face from the clothes hanging in the closet. And I just, for a moment, I felt like I was in the ivory closet and I thought, huh, okay. There's all these ways to market to a customer to get them in your store. There's all these ways to influence their purchasing behaviors while they're in your store and their perception of your brand. But how do you, how do you, you know, infiltrate that mind space when they're when they're not in your store. And the first thing everyone says is, oh, commercials, magazines. I'm like, yeah, but that's intrusive. We don't want to see the commercials. We don't want to see the magazine ads. You can have something scented of your of your brand. So your store is scented and then they buy a product that is scented and it instantly reminds them of your space and their experience with you. 
So that's how the four senses strategy started. We ended up branding lines of candles, body sprays, soaps. Like it was insane. It became the number one selling skew in the store. And I knew there was something to it. So I, um, after selling the store, I sold it three years ago. I went back to get my PhD. I started doing sensory marketing and I developed the four senses strategy that I talk about in the book. And um, it starts with that whole experience of scenting my store. The, the thing I thought would never work ended up being my future business. <laughs> that is absolutely brilliant. I love it. I'm going to have to figure out how to use that for my podcast. <laughs> you know, they, you know, it's funny. They said, they said the future of scenting is to have a, a little thing that sits on top of your um, computer. And I'm going to die if this happens in the next five years. Where you can be on a website, all of a sudden their scent goes into your space. <laughs> like if you're on Starbucks, the, the scent of coffee. And I'm like, mm, here I am again saying that's probably not going to work. We'll see maybe in five years. <laughs> it's very interesting. You mentioned coffee because as soon as you said Aroma House, I'm thinking coffee. Where's yeah. my coffee smell? <laughs> Sounds like coffee, yeah. <laughs> very cool. I like that. Here's another one that's very interesting. Is And you use it as an acronym, the word profit, the profit cost process. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So the whole book being unconventional strategies in the business school world, they teach you very traditional strategies. How do you profit based on distribution costs, product costs, um, labor, all of the things that you initially think about when you're starting a business. But this is very simple. It gets in more detail in the book and really shows you how to do this. It lays it out. Um, but to me, it's it's one thing we're missing is as Business has really shifted from a product. Um, like most businesses, it's like product, product, product. How do you compete? The service part of it. You may be selling a product, but you have a service. So it's like, okay, so everybody gets, we need to enhance and elevate the experience. But how do you, what's one of the main ways to do that? Well, it's by having, you know, employees or people or owners that are, that are seen as, um, you know, experts in the field. But we're not pricing for that. Oftentimes, entrepreneurs will underprice themselves because they price for distribution, product, all of that. They don't price for their own expertise. And there is there is a price tag to that. You should be getting, you know, you should be not only getting what you're worth, but you should be getting paid a premium for what you've spent so much time researching, going to school, building unique, innovative ideas, and sharing that with your customer. I guess you can call it a bonus. It's separate from your profits that you take home. It is a bonus based on your expertise as well. Okay, lots to think about there. And uh, definitely, we if we go to citychicliving.com, we can, we can get your book. We can find out where to get your book, right? Yes, absolutely. On that site, there's a little tab and it says my book and this picture is there. And if you just click on it, you can get the book there. It's a hard copy or if you prefer to read on an iPad or Kindle, it's available as an ebook as well. And the title of the book is The Unconventional Entrepreneur. Yes. Let's talk about unconventional entrepreneurship and let's try this. Can you tell us about the biggest failure that you've had and how you've dealt with it? Oh, man. Which one do I want to pick? <laughs> <laughs> There's so many. Um, hmm, I'm trying to think of one. There, there are several that I've talked about um, in the past, I would probably say, and it's kind of personal, but also it um, it it has to do with business. And I've spoken a little bit about it in, in the 
before in a podcast, but I'll get into it a little bit more. Um, so one of the biggest failures is not, and I, and it's also a chapter in the book I talk about never tipping the scales is it's about having work-life balance and family balance. And for me as an entrepreneur, it's one of the biggest things when you, especially when you start your business, you're just, it's something you're passionate about and you want to spend all your time there. And yes, you love your family and you love your kids and, and, but you don't realize that you're providing for them but mentally you could be neglecting mental needs because you're not present. So even when I wasn't at work, I was home working on work and I could be sitting on the couch and my kids be right next to me and we could all be watching a movie, but really I'm just kind of checkbox working and not present in the situation. And so I, I went on that way for years and, and I, this is my second marriage. I was married once before. And I will say, while I, you know, there are two sides to every story and um, there was definitely uh, problems on both sides, I'll be the first one to raise my hand and say, I think one of my biggest problems was not being present. And and I tipped my scales, uh, so to speak, when I talk about it in the book, I allowed, instead of keeping it, even I allowed, you know, work to take so much more of my time that I damaged relationships. And so, I would say that I learned from that. I'm remarried and I make t- I make sure I stop at a certain time. My children are still young, which I'm so thankful that I realized this um, flaw, so to speak, or I'm not sure what you would call it, this imbalance while they were still young, um, because now I have an eight-year-old, a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. And I make sure that I take the weekends. I do things with them. I try to step away from work. Because it's so hard. It really is. It's so hard. And my husband will have to remind me, hey, it's Saturday. You're in your office. And I'll be like, oh, I was just putting something in here. I'll be right out. And I'm like, dang it, Alex, get off the computer, go in there, you know, because it's something you're passionate about. But I learned from that and I make time for those in my life. And and that is a huge uh, thing that I think all entrepreneurs should consider. Um, Are they tipping the scales? And and are they taking that their precious time that your family loves you? They want to be with you. You know, are they making time for that? We can too often forget about everything else, especially if we really like what we're doing, which most of us entrepreneurs should be in that position. We'll just work 80, 100 hours a week and it's just just keep going. So absolutely have to know when to smell the roses, right? Yes, yes. And as we're entrepreneurs and we want to learn from you, because you you have a very unique style, unconventional, how about that? I'd like to talk about some of the biggest challenges, maybe pick up one of your biggest challenges that you've had and how you dealt with it. Okay, so this one would probably be a business challenge and it and it was a good problem to have, but it was also hard. Deciding to sell my my first big, well, I guess it wasn't my first big baby. My first big business baby was the makeup line, which turned into the clothing store. And I also launched a branded clothing line while I had that. So I had this world inside my store. And, you know, that was what I thought I wanted to do forever. And, And it was hard because I told you a little bit about the influencer business and I'll tell a little bit more because people seem to be interested, but it also, um, it segues into this, how I sold the store. I started doing influence, like doing the blog and doing Instagram posts just for marketing. Cause I, I didn't really have any money for marketing. And that grew, it grew to the point where national brands were reaching out to me and wanting to work with me. And I kept thinking, no, I turned so much business down because I said, I'm not going to cannibalize my own business. I'm not going to sell your product when I don't carry it in the store and you want me to sell it on your site instead of my own site. 
And then my brain kicked in and said, wait a minute, I can rebrand instead of being the ivory closet blog. My business is called the ivory closet. I can call it something different, which is city chic living. And I will make two businesses. And and so I did that. And that was the way I thought I was going to go forever. This is the Tony Tierso show where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues. The Unconventional Entrepreneur with Alexandra Nolan. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. You're listening to The Tony D'Urso Show with Tony D'Urso. We'd love to hear from you via email. Be sure to send questions and comments to Tony at TonyDierso.com. Now, back to The Tony D'Urso Show. All right, we're back on The Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is The Unconventional Entrepreneur with Alexandra Nolan. And if you like this show so far, please remember our sponsor who made it possible. Remember, if you need to hire, then you need Indeed. It's the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Try it out and get a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your post. You'll do that, won't you? Thanks so much. And now back to the chat with Alexandra. Like I said before, there comes a time when, you're, when your business grows to a level where it's going to be capped unless you, it's like an inverted U. You get all the way to the top where it's like you can do the max that you can do and it's just going to either stay there or go down otherwise, or plateau. Otherwise, you need to, you need to free up that time so you can just make that, that line go straight, straight, straight to the top. And I realized, I'm like, hmm, the influencer business have very minimum overhead. My clothing store, I had to do $20,000 in sales a month to, to just, you know, just, just before I even got a paycheck, you know? So I started thinking about it and I'm thinking, what's the smart thing here? And I thought, you know, I can't, my blog doesn't make enough to cover that income that my store made. Uh, so I, 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 for the longest time, I'm like, I need the store. But then I realized if I sell the store, I'll have all this time to make up that difference. And so it was a very... Yeah, see, it's a hard, good thing because it was hard to to make that decision. Um, But also personally, as often as entrepreneurs do, it's hard to let go of something that may not, especially if it's your business, that may not be right for you. There was a season for it. The business was wonderful until I started having children. I had this other business that seemed to, you know, like I said, low low overhead. It was less stressful. And I was hanging on to this, this past thing, but the, the, the chapter was done. So I had to realize that, come to the realization that while this was incredible, it was a wonderful time. I write about that time in the book when I made the decision. I actually was crying as I was typing it, uh, typing it out on the computer. I say that in the book. I'm crying right now as I write this because it just brought back so much emotion. But that was, it was an obstacle. It's a hard thing for me to do. But it was okay. I, I acknowledged it. Almost sat with it, closed it, started the new thing, and it ended up being wonderful and has snowballed into so many other projects since then. The book being one of them. I would have never had the book if I didn't if I didn't give up something else on the back end. Totally understand that one. It's amazing how 
we can let something go that is logical, but not emotional. I mean, we think it's right logically, Mm -hmm. but it's emotional. And it turns out to be the best thing we ever did. Absolutely. You just got to get through that, that emotional hard point, but yes. And I think we have time for one more question. I'm just kind of skimming through your book. You've got so many things here. Here's something that caught my eye. A deep dive into the omni-channel for small business? Yes. So I love anything omni-channel. Um, that was, you know, when I was starting back, the, um, the whole word omni-channel was really big when I was getting my master's. And so I got really into it. So for those that don't know what the omni-channel is, um, and you'll you'll recognize it right off the bat when I say this, Target, you've got the store, you've got the website. Every Most everybody has a store and a website. You now have the app, um, you have, they've got emails, they've got uh, social media, they have all of these ways to, they have all of these channels, let's say. And no matter which channel you're on, you know it's Target. They've branded so well that they don't even need to have the word Target. It's just a, a Target logo. It's funny, uh, my kids, I was typing um, Target, I was texting someone and my, my oldest son was looking over my shoulder. And you know how when you text something, it'll pop up an emoji. It popped up a Target emoji and he said, and he looked at it and it's not even the Target branded logo. And he goes, are we going to Target later? And I was like, no, but I'm like this, they branded themselves so well that even when it's not their platform, It's my text messaging, my kids thinking it's Target. So I talk about this in the book, you know, where do you need to be present as a brand to, first of all, to be seen as legitimate? I mean, if if you're a business that doesn't have a website, it's unfortunate. I know they're expensive if you don't know how to design one. But you're not going to be seen as a legitimate business. I mean, you may, I may see a business card laying there and I'm like, what business is this? And I go Google it and I don't find them. Oh, they're probably out of business. You know, that's, you have to be present there. You've got to be present on social media apps. That's a new thing. You've got to have a, an email newsletter. Um, you've got to be present in pop up events. I talk about all of these things to create this perfect package of an omni channel experience that captures your customer when they're outside of, outside of your brand space when they're on their phone, when they're at a completely different event that you've got a pop-up stand at, you know, how do you put all of that together to create the full brand package? We all need that. We all need to really think along these lines. Once again, we spoke with the unconventional entrepreneur, Alexandra Nolan. You'll find her at citychicliving.com. Get her book. There's so much more. We barely, we just skimmed the surface on some of the points. Really very deep. Alexandra, thank you so much for sharing with us today. I really appreciate it. We really appreciate it. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for having me. (laughs) And here's an insider's brief about leveraging technology to help kids learn. Children are our future. They're our future entrepreneurs and business people, and we can play a vital role in their learning. We're going to share some expert tips on how to make your child's screen time more useful. With us is Sarah DeWitt. She's the Senior Vice President and General Manager of PBS Kids. How cool is that? Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. It's, it's my honor to interview someone from PBS. I mean, we've all grown up with PBS. We, we, we know a lot about your company and what you represent. And as I'm as I'm going to go into this interview, I'm thinking, well, okay, your company's all media. So, Sarah, let's start here. Mm-hmm. What role can media play and technology play in children's learning? 
Well, it can play a really positive role. I mean, if you think back to the shows you probably know, uh, and folks, a lot of people remember from their own childhoods, like Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, they really kind of helped set the bar for how media could help kids learn. And they helped us understand that this was a really powerful tool for helping kids learn how to manage their emotions and learn their letters and numbers. Uh, and so it's been our work to kind of continue that legacy and to think about as kids are now using media across all kinds of different platforms and devices, how they can learn through all of those. So we are still thinking about literacy and math, but also about emotions, about social studies and civics and science and how kids can learn about them through TV or short form or through digital games. So it can have a really big impact if, if you have a lot of people really thinking about it and thinking about how kids can best benefit from it. Totally understand. And again, as our future entrepreneurs and business people, we want them to have good habits, good learning experiences, and really develop properly. I, I, you know, I'll, I'll let you take it away. What to watch, what not to watch, what to do, how to, how to work with it. Can you, can you tell us how, they, how we can help them develop that, I guess, the good habits on this? Good habit. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough right now, too, because there's just so much out there. So what we want to think about and what we want parents to think about is really starting early to set good media habits. And so a good first step is thinking about routines, especially young kids, so, you know, two and three years old. Uh, they really like routine. And you can really set up early that media is just one activity of many. There's going to be some time to engage with media, but also some time to do some active play or some time to read books or, or play with blocks. Um, so media is just one of those things. So thinking about where it fits in your family routine is important. Another really important thing is to set up an early habit for talking to kids about media, because the research is pretty clear that when parents talk to their kids about what they watched or what they played, the learning gains are greater. And so if parents on a really young ages start to say to the kids, so what happened on Daniel Tiger's neighborhood today? Um, you are encouraging your kid to talk about what they saw. And at that age, it's also a great literacy skill. It's helping them think about beginning, middle, and end. How do I tell you the story and what happened? As kids grow older, it's a great jumping off point for saying things like, whoa, what would you have done in that situation? And have the kid kind of think about their own perspective and try to problem solve. And if kids are practicing that kind of uh, conversation with parents, it's really doing two things. It's, it's setting up this as a habit that media is something that we talk about and something that our family is comfortable having conversations about. Um, but it's also kind of setting up this good dialogue with parents that tough things are also good to talk about. You know, this is something they might see something in Arthur uh, that is like a tough interaction between friends and have that conversation with their parents about the media. And then they're going to get to school and they're going to be some tough situations with friends. And they know that they can now talk to their parents about that as well. So media can be a great jumping off point to get into some of those tougher conversations as kids get older. I like that because when I think back on my childhood, when the parents ask you about something that you're involved in, it, it just changes that. It, I don't want to say the word bond, but it's a really good word. You just get closer with your parents and you get to understand them better. They get to understand you because they're, you're talking about something that's in your world. 
the child the child can't cannot possibly think about what's going on around the world so it's just really focused conversation focused around the child's media or input or whatever is i can see that is very beneficial mm-hmm. and with that and kind of where i'm leading to is we see all this conversation going on about mental health and i kind of want to tread lightly on it it's like I'm not necessarily, I'm not really the expert on it. And I'm thinking, well, do you think from your point of view at PBS Kids that media can kind of help model these conversations and and kind of help take things down the right road? Yes. I mean, this goes back to like how media can help model positive behavior for kids. And so mental health is definitely, this is a big issue right now uh, in the country, particularly coming out of the pandemic. A lot of kids are feeling social anxiety. and when you're when you have favorite characters and you have stories that you can relax and get lost in watching if you have characters who are then modeling really good mental health practices you're going to take those away so you know i mentioned daniel tiger's neighborhood there's a song that he sings about when you feel so mad that you want to roar take a deep breath and count to 4 and we hear all the time that parents are doing that with their kids at home to kind of like practice. How do you calm yourself down when you're feeling overwhelmed? Uh, We have another show called Rosie's Rules, which is a slightly older preschooler. Uh, That show is focused on social studies, but she's trying to figure out how the world works. And like all kids, she gets overwhelmed at some point. And that's the moment where in every episode, she flops. She has to like lie back, take a deep breath, wiggle it out. And then she says, now I'm ready to figure this out. And so that's modeling a really great practice for a preschooler. Just like, okay, let's take a breath. I can handle this. I can work this through. Um, and it's kind of, it's something that we hear that kids are, are doing at home. As kids get older, again, shows like Arthur do a great job of really just being very direct about it. Like kids are very nervous about something happening at school. This is a time for a deep breathing exercise or for going outside and taking a walk or for listening to calming music or talking to a grown up. That gets modeled a lot. How do you talk about this with someone you trust? So, really trying to make sure that kids see that they have strategies and they have options. I see. So, I, I totally get it. So, we're not quite molding, but maybe in a way, but we're helping them model positive character traits in the children. Mm-hmm. So that they grow up, I don't even I don't even want to tread again on that. Where do we want kids to go these days? But we want them to be good, mm-hmm. good citizens. And I'm thinking, do we do we do we know it's working? Do we have any results, any statistics or, or feedback on that? We do. I you know I keep mentioning Daniel Tiger's neighborhood. But he seems very relevant here. Um, there was a study out of Texas Tech University that showed that kids that watched Daniel Tiger's neighborhood over a period of time. Uh, developed more empathy. Uh, and that's that was a pretty astounding finding that kids were able to, to um, more readily think about someone else's perspective um, by watching that show because of the ways that it was suggesting that you think, think about what someone else is feeling in this moment. Uh, so I think that really was a great takeaway. And um, we've also heard through some survey work that kids who watch PBS Kids, their parents report that they sometimes behave better or are more respectful. So we know that this kind of modeling can have a real impact on what kids do. Sarah, for those of us listening that aren't necessarily familiar with PBS Kids, perhaps could you just give us a summary so that 
they can put this in the right frame and understand a little bit more of what, what we're doing and trying to accomplish here? At PBS Kids? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we focus on content for the kids ages two to eight. We work with educational advisors and subject matter experts to really think about the best ways to put curriculum into our shows. So, you know, most people know us for Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, but um, we also have shows like Wildcrats that are all about animals and animal features and characteristics and Odd Squad that focuses on kids solving real problems with math. Um, And um, I mentioned Rosie's Rules and Social Studies. We really are trying to think about how do we present skills that kids are going to need for preschoolers to get ready for school and for kids who have started school to really help keep their skills going um, through media. And so that's our, that's our mission, our focus. That's a good mission. And where could our listeners go for, to find out more about PBS Kids and, and get more information on what we're talking about? Well, certainly pbskids.org is where you can find everything I mentioned today. Uh, for kids downloading the free PBS Kids video app and the free PBS Kids games app are, are great ways to get that content or to watch on your local PBS station. Uh, if parents are looking for more tips and ideas for how to integrate media into their kids' learning, into their kids' summertime activities, you can follow us on social media, on Instagram and Facebook. PBS Kids is regularly posting articles and tips, activity ideas, and also telling you about the new shows that are coming out. Sarah, thank you so much for hopping on our show and telling us about this. It's very interesting, and I hope that we see more and that we help develop kids' characters to where we would like to see them. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Tony. Hey, thanks for hanging out with me while I featured an elite entrepreneur who took her vision to reality. We spoke with the unconventional entrepreneur, Alexandra Nolan, and we talked about, well, the tools to discover our entrepreneurial mindset. We brought up and talked about determination pointers for breaking free from the fear of failure. Face your fear and get that adrenaline rush. She spoke about how to overcome opposition with confidence, gave us some tips to get the job done, uh, talked about the four senses strategy, something kind of new she's just releasing talked about the profit cost process and others. Tell me, what did we discuss that resonated with you? I'd love to hear. And please share this with a few friends to help them too. It's friends helping friends that help everybody succeed during our current tough times. Use this and let's help you move on your journey to success. Thanks. And remember, success awaits those who persevere and remain steadfast despite the odds. Sow good seeds. Do good deeds. And join me on the next episode of The Tony D'Urso Show. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of The Tony D'Urso Show with Tony D'Urso. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, go enjoy the weekend.